back to me, 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Now, if you open up in your Bibles with me, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Next Sunday, we're going to do some case studies in discipleship. You remember this theme of discipleship. We've looked at it throughout our exposition of the book. We'll look at some case studies in verses 19 through 22 and do a review of some of the high points of the book. Today, the focus is verses 16 to 18 of 2 Timothy 4. The Lord stands with his disciples. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, open this text to our hearing. We thank you that you have given us your inerrant word. May we be given thy spirit to live in it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our trials in life rest not only in the ill treatment we receive from our enemies, but also from the neglect of those whom we have reason to expect would be on our side. In the first category of behavior, recall from last week's passage as recorded in 14 and 15 of chapter 4, we read of a man named Alexander, a coppersmith, it is suggested by a commentator that Alexander the coppersmith may have been the very one to hand Paul over to the Roman authorities for his second Roman imprisonment. Thomas Oden writes that the great fire of Rome blamed upon Christians had occurred only a few years earlier, and Paul might have become associated absurdly with that fire in the public mind fueled by hysteria, prejudice, and state propaganda. Because Alexander was a heretic and wanted more influence in the church without the opposition of Paul out there in the community opposing him, Alexander would have been motivated to put Paul out of the way in prison where it would be more difficult for him to oppose Alexander's false preaching and thus turn Paul over to the authorities who already were against him. And so Paul warns Timothy about Alexander, saying, You must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. The words referred to by Paul are not just any words. It's not Paul's conversation with Alexander about the weather. It's rather the words. It's the sound words. If you turn back to 2 Timothy 
1.13, hold fast the pattern of sound words. It's the same word used in both verses in the Greek. These sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. It's faith that brings us into relationship with God. It is love which comes pouring out of our hearts as the Holy Spirit fills our hearts to overflowing, as it says in Romans 5. And it is all focused on Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. And all doctrine is meant to guard that gospel. It's meant to reveal to us who God is, what our humanity is, what creation is. The fall, the covenants, salvation, justification, sanctification, adoption, glorification, and the end times. Yes, this is the developed sound words which are found in microcosm in the words of the New Testament. And by good and regular implication, a total system of doctrine is brought forth based upon the Old and the New Testaments. Well, this sound words, that's resisted by Alexander. And that led him to possibly be the one to betray Paul to the Romans. It's in these trials which we more or less expect in life that our enemies and the enemies of God have it in for us. And their enmity is obvious. And the results are lamentable, such as Paul getting locked up or any particular harm we may face. What is it that gets Paul in the gut? It's the sucker punch he wasn't expecting. It's what follows in verse 19. I don't know if you ever heard of Harry Houdini, great magician, marvelous man who tried to debunk false magicians and people who said they were spiritists, really had his head screwed on straight. Well, he had a magnificent physique, and he had an enemy by the name of J. Gordon Whitehead, who often was attacking him. And one time, Jay Gordon Whitehead saw him on stage or backstage and took a massive blow to his stomach when Houdini was not expecting it. He couldn't tense up the muscles, and he died of appendicitis related to that blow. That's what you call a sucker punch. You're not expecting it. And here is Paul, and nobody stands with him at his first defense. Verse 16, at my first defense, no one stood with me. Well, I thought there were Christians in Rome. I thought he had preached in Rome. I thought he had written his biggest letter to Rome, his most magnificent uh, treatise theologically to Rome. He had been in prison in Rome. That was an open imprisonment. It was house arrest where you could bring visitors in. Surely there were Christians who visited him that time who still lived in Rome. But no one stood with me. That's a sucker punch. That hurts when nobody's there for you. And I want to ask you today, have you ever felt that twofold attack? Have you ever felt that the enemies are going after you? But where is the church? Where are my brothers and sisters? Wouldn't there be one person who could have stood with Paul to defend him against the baseless claims of these pagans? Now, the not showing up has two aspects. First, it's a, it's a negative followed by a positive, and the negative is caused by a positive. First, the negative, no one stood with me. There was nobody there who could speak for me just to keep me company. If I was doing a speaking, I just want somebody to 
care for me. I'm the pastor. I'm the apostle. I get it, but I'm not superhero. I felt your love this week as you were, you know, drinking the stuff and going a little lightheaded. I felt your love last service when Dr. Pilmer came up and my wife came up and, and others, other ways. You know, even leaders need to be cared for. And Paul is saying, I needed somebody. And that issue of no one standing with him is because of a positive that happened. They did something. They forsook. They ran for the hills. They didn't show up. They ran. There were no allies, no friends, no brothers, no sisters. But note this, Paul was filled with grace. Paul declared, may it not be charged against them. Earlier concerning Alexander in verse 15, when he's dealing with a heretic, and we talked about how he was a heretic, we gave you the details of that from 1 Timothy. He didn't believe that the resurrection for believers was coming in the future. They, he believed that it was a spiritual resurrection in the past, and that's totally contrary to the bodily resurrection, which we see in the Old and the New Testaments. He was a heretic. And about him, when he had done evil to him and resisted his words, he says, may the Lord repay him according to his works. He didn't judge him himself. He didn't go after him. He left judgment in the Lord's hand. But boy, did he want judgment. It's a different fact here. He said, may it not be charged and so this neglect, Paul sees in a different category than heresy. And we see, however, though this is a charge for us to learn how to care for one another as believers. If the Apostle Paul needs it, we also need it. And we need to be thinking today about our relationship in this smaller congregation a relationship that we have by virtue of worshiping together on the Lord's day and through connections through the week, but at least by virtue of worshiping with one another, there is an implied relationship of caring. We should feel in our heart that if we do not in some way identify with sisters and brothers among us who are in crisis, then we are forsaking them in some ways. Now, it can be either personally or it could be verbally on the phone, or it could be through the ministrations of the pastor or the elders and the deacons. You may not feel like it's your place to intervene in every situation, but if you know of a situation, give me a call. Give one of the elders a call. There shouldn't be people suffering in silence in this church. Let us know. And this is a scriptural foundation. If you turn back with me, Keep your finger in 2 Timothy, if you would, but turn back to Galatians 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ, the law of love, where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. I command you, so wash one another's feet. Bear one another's burdens. And then verse 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. 
The people I observe doing good in the household of faith are the same people who in the same week are doing good to people in the world. It's not either or. There is a primacy of concern and care for those who are in the church because they are part of the body of Christ. They are other members of the body, like another body part, a toe or, a, or an ear. We have a concern. We're intimately, organically one, and we feel each other's pain because we're part of that body. The primary responsibility to do good in the household of faith is not sort of a tribal loyalty, sort of like, like we're better than other people. Christians know they're not better. Rather, they are forgiven and are in a process of sanctification. It's not because we've got the right ethnic group or the right national group. It's rather because of grace that God in his wonderful love has changed us. And so we readily identify with other changed people who are organically connected because we are the body of Christ. But when we get practice loving within the body of Christ, when we build up our spiritual mercy muscles, in my 33 years of ordained ministry, it's those same people whose hearts have been trained to go to the need of the world. It's the people who love here who love there. And I've seen it so many times over and over. They go out and make themselves available to the lost, to those in the world who need Jesus. So let's learn to love boldly, intentionally, in the body of Christ, not forsaking people who have problems within our church, but rather standing with them, committing to pray with them, assisting them practically if there's a physical need, visiting with them on the phone. The deacons have a deacon fund. That's what they're there for. You do not have to go through me. Some people do. I take it to the deacons and they decide. But you can go directly to them if you want. That's Clint, back by the sound system. Where's El Deacon John? Deacon John, right in front of him. These are compassionate men. If there's a need for help, go to them. And remember that Paul had the right to this help. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 25. What you've done to the least of my brothers, you've done to me. You see, if we're found naked, we're meant to be clothed with our, by our fellow believers. If we're in prison, we're meant to be visited. That was the one that applied to Paul. If we're found hungry, we're meant to be fed. Sadly, Paul did not find this basic consideration as commanded by Christ as fulfilled in his case. So I call you to the joyful, costly, time-consuming body life of a Christian church, meant to make a difference in the lives of its members, and meant to shine a light in the darkness. And even that love for one another is part of what makes it shine. See how they love one another. Now, when those times come, when we do feel alone, and we look out, and we we just don't see anybody coming our way. Well, then look out at them. And be careful not to become embittered. Paul did not become embittered. He simply declared it, and he said, let it not be held against them. And we need to be careful about that. Don't let us build up a heart 
of bitterness. In other words, we should in our situation perhaps be the initiator. That's tough when you're hurting. But there are times when I was a kid that I wanted more friends. And my mother always said to me, Ned, in order to get a friend, you need to be a friend. And so be a person who invites someone over to sit on your back deck. Be a person who takes someone out to an ice cream stand. Take the initiative. And as you do that, then also look as we transition to the next point. Look to Christ in faith. Verses 17 and 18b. The Lord stands with us for his glory. Look to Christ. And we see here, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Note the counterpoint compared to verse 16. Verse 16, at my first defense, no one stood with me. Verse 17, but the Lord stood with me. Verse 16, all forsook me. Verse 17, and the Lord strengthened me. Meaning that even when human beings let us down, the Lord lifts us up and we have hope and we are not alone. Think of it this way. The Lord Jesus Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father, is crowned with glory. We sang about that in our opening hymn. He has ascended into heaven. He is the Lord of love who cares. But he is never so distant from us that his personal presence is not known by believers who trust this Jesus, their Lord. This Lord, Jesus said in John 14, 16, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. He said, I'll pray and the Father will send another helper. That's the Holy Spirit. I'll send another comforter to you, or you could translate it counselor or advocate. I will send a paraclete, para alongside, call. I'll send somebody who stands with you. So think of this Lord of glory. He has not only the position of the power at the right hand of the Father, where his own divine human body is, but it is also a place from which he is able to act on our behalf. He has the proximity of intimacy, knowing our every need and able to personally be present with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because two verses after the one I just quoted from 1416, he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And what he's saying there is when he sends the Spirit, he is coming in that spirit, the very presence of Jesus on high is mediated to us by the personal indwelling Holy Spirit. We are not orphans. That is the opposite. An orphan is, is being alone. And we are not orphans. We are joined together with Christ's spirit. One of the students that I taught in Ukraine when I had a course in pastoral theology at the PCA seminary over there was one who was known as one of the most diligent and careful students of the gospel in that class. And he recently spoke of us not being alone in this way. 
I also want to tell you that God has not forgotten you. He has not left you. He has not left you alone. He delves into all your business. He cares about you. Keep believing and praying. Don't be sad or stop. God will surely protect you and help you soon. Unquote. He delves into our business. He knows what it's about. You know, you know, when somebody delves into business that's not their business, you don't like that, right? But I want it when God knows my business. Because there's business that needs delving. It needs somebody there who's going to care. You know, this last week when we were expecting the baby for 72 hours, it was a long time for you to wait as a church. I, I'll let you know really early Thank you for your patience and for your love for, for Rachel. But there were times when I just went on a walk and I was just feeling alone. I was feeling like, what's going on, God? Where are you? And so I, I'm not presenting myself as the one who always trusts. I'm presenting to you the gospel and calling myself that next time I will trust better compared to Friday of this week that I will trust better, and it's a present tense trust. We have a present tense trust and a present tense Lord that is based upon a present tense trust in a historic Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross, that he was raised from the dead is the foundation of our faith, but it's like the foundation that we walk upon. We walk upon this foundation of faith. We rely on it, but we got to trust for God today, a present trust, tense trust in a present tense Lord. And what is the result? So that, verse 17, so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles may hear. So the message might be preached that all the Gentiles might hear. When he was at a hearing in front of Roman authorities, perhaps even Nero, who knows. That was an opportunity for him to preach. He was getting the opportunity to preach at the highest levels of world culture. And that preaching is something that was anticipated when he was before some other rulers. Back in Acts 22, verse 1, he says, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And he tells the details of his conversion on the road to Damascus. And past Elder Ken was talking about how when Paul was later recorded in Acts 26, 1 as speaking to King Agrippa, King Agrippa and Festus, he spoke to these secular authorities. And he spoke in such a way that he gave his testimony. Verses 13, if you want to go back there, Acts 26 and verse Number 13, we see him giving the story of his conversion and his calling. He says, At midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. You're making your life worse than it should. Stop bridling against me. I am God. Yield to me. 
So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So that bright light was none other than the vision of the ascended Christ. That's the Lord we're talking about here. The Lord who stood at Jesus, at, at Paul's side. And he commands him, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So that's his purpose. Note that when he was told to stop persecuting me, he, Jesus is identifying his church on earth with him up there. That speaks of the doctrine of the body of Christ revealed right here in microcosm. That's why we have that first responsibility to the church. To love the church and care for the church, first of all, it's organic in the fact that we have a connection to those people through Jesus. But then the concern is that the witness would go out to the whole world, to the Gentiles. And that is what he is fulfilling here. He is bringing a witness to the Gentiles, to the Romans, that they would hear. And that God would be glorified, 18b. To him be glory forever and ever, amen. When we make much of God in the presence of men, he is glorified. He is given the weight he should. He is given that emphasis and priority in our lives. And that's the kind of church we are seeking to be. That's the kind of church I believe we are that we are loving the church and we are reaching the lost with the gospel. I'm so thankful there is someone who continues a Bible study with an unbelieving woman and several other women. I heard she was doing it like three years ago. I just talked to one of them and said, oh yeah, we're doing that still. What, three years later? Yeah, that's still happening. And that's because that person has learned to love by Jesus loving her, and she loves her family, and she loves her church, and she has enough left love left over for unbelievers. That's no big mistake. That's a hallelujah chorus. So, my dear friends, let us continue with this focus that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Now you may ask yourself, we're going on to the third point here, but what about me? Come on, what about me in the middle of this? Do you care about me, God? Or am I just like a tool in your hand? Am I just like your means to an end? Or am I an end in myself? Take a look at verse 17c. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. Yes, Jesus cares about you personally. You are not just a tool. You are a worthy end of his saving love. And it happens when we're delivered out of the mouth of the lion. You may have heard of gladiators and lions in the Colosseum. 
Well, I'm sorry, Paul was not a gladiator, okay? That wasn't likely what was meant by the mouth here. In 2 Corinthians, if you go back, you see there that, uh, that in 10, verse 10, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 10, it says something about uh, Paul, which does not make him a big candidate for carrying a shield around and impressing the crowd and fighting other gladiators. It says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 10, uh, for his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Okay, so he's not going out to fight a gladiator and he's not going to try to fight off a lion to thrill the crowds. No, the lion here has more to do with what you see in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 and 14. If you read with me there, 2 Corinthians 11 13 and 14. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. There are ministers of the devil out there who make themselves out to look like ministers of righteousness. And that is dangerous. And that is the lion that Paul is being delivered of here. He is being delivered from the mouth of Satan, who we learn in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Be careful of false pastors, false teachers, who have no grace, no God revealed in the Bible, no Trinitarian love. And we see an example of that in 2 Timothy, these who deny faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 1 and 13. He is delivered from the devil who's behind these false teachers. But we also need to be delivered from devilish deception. That's why we need sound doctrine. Because that sound doctrine is the truth which God uses in our life to open our eyes to see the dangerous teachers and the dangerous situations they would drag us into. And as we go on to 2 Timothy 4 and verse 18, he does not going to be delivered not only out of the mouth of the lion, but the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. Every evil work. There's a lot of evil out there. Men, beware pornography. Women, be careful about romance novels that drag your minds into fantasies. Both pornography and these other romance fantasies can lead you right into the mouth of the devil. Just think of that if you're tempted. Think of the ugly, slimy jaws of the devil lurking behind an image or a slutty novel. There's a lot of evil work out there in every area of life, but we are to be Christ-like. Remember, he is standing with you all the time. And when you behold him specifically as revealed in one of the gospel accounts, or as you behold him as revealed in the Old Testament, or as when you behold him as described in the epistles, you behold him, you become like him. 
You become Christ-like. We were talking about a verse, all the labor pains that Rachel had. And the Apostle Paul says that he had labored as in childbirth so that Christ would be formed in you. Paul was laboring, and it was like bringing forth a baby. It was so painful. And this is a painful process of sanctification. But if we read in 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. When we behold him, we become like him as we trust in him as the Spirit moves. And think of this. You wonder if Jesus is on your side? Remember this. He is preserving me for his heavenly kingdom. He's preserving me. He is keeping me through thick and thin. He is preserving me for that heavenly kingdom, which sometimes we just read about it at funeral services, but we should be thinking about it all the time. Chapter 22 of Revelation, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. That's the Holy Spirit pouring forth the realities of God into every part of the church. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Oh, how our nation needs healing and how the nations of the world need healing. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there is no night there. I'm looking for that kingdom. I want to go there. I want to be there with you. I want to be in a place of no temptation, no sickness, no more sadness, no conflict. And I'm saying to you, have a present tense faith in a present tense Lord who is with you now. And trust him to the end. Loving the church that we together loved can then be motivated to go forth to serve the Lord. And to bring the gospel that the Gentiles may hear. Let us pray. I thank you for these dear ones. I thank you for their love of you and their trust and their love of one another in this congregation. May we always love one another. And may we then go forth to love a lost and broken world which you care about. We pray that you will bless us, that we will know your protection, your preservation, and your deliverance from temptation. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.